Pastor Pete called me on Friday. He said he was sick. Wanted to know if I could uh, preach. I said, I sure can. Uh, I've been reading through the Bible using uh, daily reading through the Bible in a year. And so the last few weeks I've been in the prophets, the major prophets and all 12 of the minor prophets. So I'd already read through that and had in mind, next time I preach, I think this is what I'm going to preach. That's what I felt at least any way the Lord would have. So we'll be in Jeremiah today. I think it's a a good uh, reminder as we enter the new year and as we wrap up the Christmas season with Epiphany this coming week. I'm sure most of you in this sanctuary or watching online, when going through a, a difficult or challenging time, have thought or said to yourself or someone else or someone has said it to you, just hang in there. God has a plan. Ever heard that before? Just say, God has a plan. Now, we believe God has a plan, and then we start considering that plan in different life circumstances. For example, if things are, are, are going badly or poorly for us, we're challenged or we're being pressed, we've just endured or things have gotten crazy in the world, then often we'll attribute it to God's plan. Well, it's beyond me. I just don't understand, but God has a plan. I don't understand it, but it will all make sense someday because God is sovereign and God has a plan. Now, on one level, that can be a comforting thing to consider. This is beyond the hope of what I, uh, the scope of what I can understand or comprehend. I'm upside down. I feel like I'm spinning in a tornado. I don't even know where, where, where up is but God has a plan. That can be a comforting thought. God does have an ultimate plan. But from my observations and conversations over the last 50 years as an adult and the last 40-some years as a pastor, a lot of time that phrase, God has a plan, is used more as more of an excuse. What do I mean? Well, we can look at the messes we make, and then we try to take several steps away from what we've done. Perhaps we've been participating with other human beings and creating havoc or chaos in some sort of way, and it's God's fault, right? Because God has a plan. The things we don't understand, the things that happen, the messes that are made in the world, whether in our own personal lives or in our homes or in our communities or globally, it's not my fault, right? Because God has a plan must be God's plan. So God gets the credit or the blame, however you want to look at it, for everything that happens. The Apostle Paul reminds us in that eighth chapter of Romans that God doesn't cause all things, especially evil things, but God does cause all things to work together. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Another translation, New Living says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, we can take that to the bank. Amen? As Christians, no matter what comes into our lives, be bad, be good, be mountaintop, be down in the valley, be death, be sickness, be illness, be loss of job, Whatever stressors come into our lives, one big comfort in my life has been God is good. We've got to really believe at the core that God is good and that God is causing all things to work together. 
Uh, I don't like cocoa out of the can, do you? It tastes awful, doesn't it? Take a teaspoon of that and see what, how it makes you pucker. You know, sugar, a spoonful of sugar, it makes the medicine go down. I can, you know, stand sugar. Uh, baking soda, baking powder by itself is not very good. But you mix all those ingredients together. You apply the heat of the oven and you got a good taste in chocolate cake. You know, God says all things. He takes the, the bitter things in our lives, the things that we cannot tolerate hardly, and the pressures and the heat of life and what we go through, somehow he causes it all to work together, to create good, to cause good. He's in the business of redeeming all things. That includes what happens in my life and yours. But here's what God says in Jeremiah. This is really our text for this morning about his plan. By the way, Jeremiah 29 contains one of the most famous verses in all the Bible about God's plan. We'll talk about that a little later. But God is already talking about plans here in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. Now, you can find this in most of the prophets, in the, in the major prophets, all 12, all 10, 12 of the minor prophets. You have this same theme, so it's just not this one place. This just happened to be where I landed. So here the Lord speaks in Jeremiah 18, 5 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will consider the good I had intended to do for it. So it's safe to say that God has a plan. It's safe throughout scriptures to consider that perfect plan to be the restoration of all things. We can follow that overarching plan of the redemption of humanity and the restoration of all creation from Genesis all the way through Revelations. And I love Revelations when it comes to this topic. But what we see in God's word as spoken through the prophet Jeremiah is that our choices matter in God's plan. We have a role to play as individual people and as a human race. We have seen many times in scripture where God relents. We, we see it beginning with Abraham and, and God responds. We see that throughout scripture, God responds to a contrite heart. God responds to a broken heart. God responds when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And that, as we see in Jeremiah today, can change God's plan. God makes adjustments based on the actions and motives of his people. God allows our decisions and our choices, our humility or our pride and arrogance to work and to lead where it's going to lead. And that's kind of a big deal. It's a biblical concept that runs throughout scripture. Now we would know it as the law of sowing and reaping. So what do we get when we sow seeds? It's not a trick question. Seeds, right? What do we get when we plant corn? Corn, right? If we sow bitterness, we're going to reap bitterness. If we sow arrogance, we're going to reap arrogance. If we sow gossip, we're going to reap gossip. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7, if we sow mercy, we'll receive mercy. I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 7. He also reminds us that we'll be judged how we judge others in Matthew 7, too, that we're going to 
reap the same judgment we give out. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there's this universal natural law of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. Now I could go on and on, but I won't. We're going to reap what we sow. It's a natural law put in place by God. You don't plant, gra- you don't plant grass and get turnips. It's just the way it is. We get what we plant and cultivate. God's ultimate plan is to redeem humanity. And we're the redeemed. Hopefully most of us in here are the redeemed already. And still we often seem to be confused about sowing and reaping. And so when we sow garbage and we reap garbage, why do we say, well, it must be God's plan? I just ask us to put that in our cup this morning and stir it around a little bit and consider the fact that we have a role to play in our lives and we have a role to play in the story of God that God has allowed us to be here and his plan is that we ought to be a participant in and exercise our part in God's plan of redemption. Now, in order to illustrate this point, I have one illustration that brings me to one of the most uh, famous quoted passages in Scripture, maybe the most memorized verse in the Bible throughout the world. And it's uh, one of the places we can look and realize why context is so important as we move through the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11. You probably can quote it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now that's very good news, especially on this first Sunday of the new year. Those are good words, comforting words, super easy to understand why we would say them to ourselves or someone else. Why would we say them to a friend that's discouraged or why we would, it would be preached from the pulpit. It's a verse in the Bible. It's important. It brings an enormous amount of comfort and encouragement. Out of its context, it's a very promising verse, but in context, it's even a bigger deal than we realize as we're passing it around as words of encouragement. It's important to understand when this was said, when this was written, it's important to understand that Jerusalem has been conquered. The Babylonians have defeated and conquered the Hebrews. They've conquered Jerusalem. The Babylonians have been in the process of deporting people to different territories of their kingdom. The Hebrews have essentially watched their homeland, the lives that they knew deteriorate and vanish before their very eyes. Some families have been broken apart and sent to different regions. People have died. They're no longer part of the story. Family members have gone and nobody knows where they're gone or if they'll ever be found or seen again. The people who have been displaced from their families have to find a whole new life. Things are pretty upside down. Jeremiah's in Jerusalem and he's witnessing this deportation. He's witnessing the tumult. He's whipped witnessing the disruption of it all. Meanwhile, there are people in exile in Babylon trying to find some kind of new normal. Oh, we can kind of relate to that, can't we? (laughs) Finding a new normal. I don't pretend to be anywhere near what the, the Hebrews went through, but we've experienced that almost on a daily basis. And there are multiple false prophets who have been deported with the people in Babylon who are telling everybody, they're, they're telling the Hebrews, just hunker down and endure. This is going to be over in a couple of years and we'll all be going home. That's a great, that's great news, right? If you've been, had everything ripped from you, that's a super duper encouraging prophecy. 
which happened to be a false prophecy, (laughs) not from God at all. So Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. He writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon, and, and it's in that letter that Jeremiah 29, 11 is written. It's a sentence and a letter, not a standalone thought. Now, it can be a standalone thought, but it's out of context with the letter in which it's included. So let's go back to the letter because that will give us context of the verse. In the letter, Jeremiah is speaking to people who have been deported from their homeland, as we mentioned. That's context. They are trying in whatever way they can to figure what the new normal is, what life, you know, they're grieving over their loss. They grieve, they long, they're lamenting, they yearn to go home where they've lived all their lives, where they were raised, where they were raising their families. And to the Hebrew refugees in a strange and foreign land, here's what Jeremiah says in that 29th chapter, fourth verse. This is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon and from Jerusalem, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. That's quite a different message, right? Than what the false prophets were saying. So in this prophecy to the people, it doesn't sound like it's going to be over in a couple of years, like the false prophets were saying. In fact, quoting from the letter, the same letter here in the same chapter, verse 10, 11, this is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. So in context, it's a little different story, and it flies in the face of what the exiled prophets are saying about this being over quickly. What the Lord was saying is you're going to be there for a generation. You're going to be there for a while, so if you're trying to hunker down, thinking this is going to be over in a couple years, you're just going to do whatever it takes to survive, and that would be a mistake. You need to plant roots. That's a hard message for these people. This is not the message they want to hear. They don't want to receive it. In fact, they're doing everything they can to reject it and to reject Jeremiah for giving it. His life is even in danger. But in fact, it is exactly what did happen. So the real message and context around this verse is a little different from the way we quote it because we quote it to be comforting uh, as if This is going to be like the false prophets prophesize. You know, hang in there, it'll be over in no time. This is going to be a quick fix when when what God was saying was, I have sent you somewhere for a reason. God warned them for decades. Read through all the prophets. (laughs) He warns them over and over. And he's warned them through several prophets. You're going to be here for a while. It's not going to be a quick fix. It wasn't a quick thing that got you into this mess that allowed the Babylonians to destroy you, it's not going to be a quick 
thing to get out of your mess. It's going to take generations, so you need to just settle in, settle down, settle in. You need to multiply. You need to thrive. You need to flourish. You need to expand and not disintegrate. You need to plan on getting married. Then you can plan on finding spouses for your kids so you can have grandchildren. And I'm all for grandkids. Yes, since I've experienced that, I know what grandparents were talking about, what the twinkle in their eye was about. So I'm all for that. You can have grandchildren. This is going to take a while, so you need to get on board with the program. You're going to have... You know, you're going to have to pray for the city that you're in because that city's welfare is very much tied to your own welfare. So get with the program. And you have permission to do well. You have permission to excel. You have permission to thrive. You have, you may not want to be where you are. It may, may take some time, but you have permission to do well where you are while you're waiting for the plans I have for you to come to fruition. Now, this is different and perhaps even more deeply comforting to our souls for those of us who are enduring, who are waiting for change that doesn't seem like it will ever come. We can rest in the fact that it will because there are plans. God has a plan, but we also have permission to do well right now. We can thrive as best as we can right here, right now, where we are while we're waiting. That gives us a little bit of a picture of context and why it's really important. Context is so important with every quoted passage of Scripture. The message is even deeper than we thought. The hope is even greater. We certainly all want a quick fix, don't we? I like quick things. If I got to wait in line at Taco Bell for more than, you know, three minutes, I'm irate. What's wrong with those people in there? Well, I know now they don't have any help, first of all. This is not the day and age to be impatient in. And I I pray for patience. Guess what happens if you pray for patience? Yeah, you get the circumstance to help you develop those patience. And I've had plenty of opportunity the last two years to develop. And I'm not always good at it. I'm not always good at it. You know, the main thing to me at Christmas is getting together with family. I don't care if I get one gift, having all my kids together at one time and watching them interact and have fun. and Didn't get to do that this year. Man, was I bummed. And I, I wasn't acting, you know, like a happy, happy Joe around my house uh, until I finally got over it, <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, things are going to happen, and uh, we need to learn to be patient. In this verse, the hope is even greater. I mean, we all want quick fixes. If we could, we would just snap our fingers. But life doesn't work that way, does it? As we know it. Everything moves in seasons. Everything takes time to develop. It's a gift, actually, because we always have a chance to look where we're going and what direction we're in and then to move in another direction, to repent, to change our minds, to move in another direction before we hit that brick wall. Jeremiah shows us there was plenty of time for the Hebrew people to change course, but they didn't change course, so they were conquered and they were taken into exile, suffering the consequences of their previous choices. The good news is that in the midst of their exile is that God has not forgotten or abandoned them. And I can say that to all of us this morning. In the midst of all of the challenges of life, folks, God has not forgotten 
God has not abandoned us. John Wesley, as he lay on his deathbed, he said, the best thing is that God is with us. You can't top that. God is with us. You can't top the creator and sustainer of this whole universe. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Trinity who decided we're going to go down and redeem humanity. And the son says, yeah, I'll go. You can't top that kind of love. You can't top that kind of God. God is with us, folks. We forget that, don't we? (laughs) We get wrapped up all in our immediate circumstances. But they're going to have to live out the choices they've made for themselves. Rather than feeling defeated and completely destroyed, they have been given permission by God to do well as they wait. And so have we. I thought as I was spending a little bit of time this morning before the service, the Lord brought an illustration to my mind. I'm going to call him Ted, so I won't use his real name, but one of my pastorates, there's a guy named Ted. And he had just served some time, gotten out of prison, uh, was coming to church, invited Christ into his life, was doing well. He even started a, a small business and was doing well in that business and prospering, getting together back with his son and his, his wife. Things looked good until he had a previous charge that he had to deal with. The courts were so backed up that after he'd spent his time in jail for that and came and put his life back together, things were on track and looking up and look, looking good. He got sent back to court and was convicted again. And I, I tried to do my part in, in preparing him, say, you know, Ted, uh, you know, our choices catch up with us. So don't get to, he was blaming God, you know, he's just blaming God. Why would God do this to me? Why would God do this to me? I kept trying, Ted, God didn't do this to you. This is your past choices and past actions that have caught up with you and there's, there's consequences. So I know you're doing great, you're doing well, you're on the right track and now you have to go back to jail. And it, it just, he just couldn't, couldn't get past that. He just basically gave up. He did go to trial, was found convicted. They sent him back. And during that time, he just gave up the Christian life, gave up on God. And when he got out again, he never did seem to be able to get it together. Oh, how I wish he would have had a Jeremiah whisper in his ear, just endure, just hang in there. You're living through the consequences of previous choices. And I kept telling him, you need to start making good choices. Because as you start making good choices and continue to make good choices, guess what's going to happen in your life? Good things are going to happen. Heard a saying a long time ago, just stuck in my mind, you, you sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character and reap a destiny. Our choices do matter. And sometimes they catch up with us, but God says, just endure. I'm with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. Hang in there. It may take a year or two or three to get through all the bad stuff from the past. But my plans are to prosper you, to do good, to help you to flourish. As Christians, we do our best with the help of God and the power of the Spirit to make our lives and our homes, our communities, our nation Places that reflect the nature and the character of Jesus. 
places where human flourishing takes place. We are all sojourners in a foreign land. Citizens of an earthly Babylon. Our Babylon just happens to be United States of America. Don't be offended by that. Every human government, secular government on the face of the earth is a Babylon. Read, read through Revelation. And as Christians, we have to be citizens of this earthly Babylon, but at the same time, servants and citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, don't forget what Jeremiah tells us, right? It's the people of God. What are we supposed to do? We're to pray for the city, the state, the country in which we live. We're to make it the best place we can be, that it can be, right? We're, we're supposed to be salt and light, right? So don't forget that. We have permission to thrive and flourish and to do well. But we're citizens of Babylon, at the same time, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And don't forget which is first. I had something that just irritated me a little bit. And I know there's certain protocols on the flag and stuff, but I, I drove past, going to Canton, I drove past a church that had the American flag on top and the Christian flag underneath. <laughs> that bothered me. It may not bother anybody, but it bothered me. And I own that. My allegiance, I'm sorry, is first of all to... Jesus and his kingdom. You remember the, the, the pledge of the Christian flag when you came through Bible school? I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting Christians everywhere in service and in love. So my first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Then, of course, I'm going to be the best citizen I can be in the United States of America. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to pray for my leaders. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to do all that. <laughs> but it just bothered me a bit when I saw, you know, Christian flag, which to me represents the kingdom of God being topped by uh, a nation. Anyway, here's the good news. As citizens of this earthly Babylon, but at the same time, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We have permission to thrive and flourish until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ for the eternal rule and reign of God. Here's what Revelation eleven fifteen says. There were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now come, become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Chapter 11, verse 16, the 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshiped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the almighty, the one who is and who was, and always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. So we have a, our feet firmly planted on, on, on the soil of where we live, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's not forget it. May that help us endure the things in life. God's with us. Let's pray together. Father, help us to see the things that we blamed you for, that you didn't do it the things we accuse you of that you were not involved in, our plans that we labeled your plan when things didn't work out so we could pass the blame and take some sidesteps. We certainly are a peculiar people. <laughs> we are like sheep that have gone astray. We can be so stiff-necked. Lord, you've given us so many examples in Scripture. This has been going on for thousands of years because it's part of the human condition. But we thank you for your patience and kindness. You're always ready to reach out your strong arm of redemption on our behalf if we're bound and determined 
not to rebel against you. Lord, help us to know that every choice leads somewhere. If wise decisions become the norm for us, then we will be in your plan. So come, Holy Spirit, help us to realize this. Father, may, maybe we're not where we want to be because of bad past decisions, but help us to endure living with the consequences of past decisions. Help us to realize coming out on the other end victorious is a process. You've given us permission to smile during the process, to thrive in the circumstances, to follow you through it because you do have a plan. So come, Holy Spirit, help us to do just that. Lord, may we begin not by relaxing on a couch, but in our spirit as we exhale our anxiety and stress, waiting for change. May we open our hands to you Understand that we're following you, not the other way around. You're not following us. We've been impatient with you because you're not moving quickly enough as if you're following us. Lord, instead, we open our hands and smile again in our souls knowing that you do have a plan and it's going to be fine. All shall be well. It all shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. We just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. We have permission to do it well. Holy Spirit, we need this to sink in so badly. And so help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.